Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the truth of the words we just sang and the truth of the word we've heard read already. And Lord, you are a loving God and you are a gracious God and we need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ for that evidence. And because you are God, who from everlasting to everlasting is unchangeable, we can find our trust in you. Lord, it is because of who you are and because of who we are to you that we gather to proclaim your name, to declare your promises, to sing your praise, to behold your glory. May we behold the Lamb of God who was called forth before the foundation of the world to redeem your people back to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Passage you've already heard this morning in Romans 8, 28. He says, For God works all things together for good for those whom he loves, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we love that verse. Right? We do. We, we, we need that. I need that verse in my life. When things are getting shaky and the waves are getting big and, and the storms are raging, I need to know that there is a God in heaven who is working it together for my good and his glory. But guys, that's only true. That can only be true. Verse 28 can only be true if the verses right after it are also true. And the way Paul writes it in Romans makes it really clear. He doesn't just say God works all things together for good, period, new thought. He is connecting the thought right after in verse 29 to the thought he just expressed. And we know that because he says for, this little word that we fly right by, but, he, but it's that important because he's, that word is connecting the thought he's about to say with what he just said. He's saying God works everything together for good, and here's how. And then he tells us that it's who he foreknew he predestined. Those he predestined he called. Those he called he justified. Those he justified he glorified. Guys, I mean, if you just think about it for a moment, verse 28 can only be true if God is orchestrating the affairs of people, right? If, in, unless God is in charge, really in charge, he left by chance Jesus getting crucified. But we know that's not true. How do we know? Because, because the whole first two-thirds of this Bible is God telling us what's going to happen to Jesus. He called a shot and fulfilled it. And that can only be true if he is truly sovereign. That can only be true if he is really in control. But guys, here's the best news. All of those verses, are all those verbs in that passage, those he foreknew, those he predestined, those he called, those he justified, those he glorified, those are all past tense verbs. Just like last week when I said, by grace you have been saved, that was a past tense, perfect once for all time. He's saying it has been done. Now you may sit here today and go, I don't feel very glorified because we're not yet. In his eyes, he has already glorified us. But we live in the, because he is outside of time. We are linear and sequential. 
He is from everlasting to everlasting all the same moment. The moment he spoke creation into existence is the same moment he came here as a man and walked to his cross. In his mind, that's the same time. To us, it's linear. So he's saying, he's saying, guys, I already see you as glorified even as I am in the process of making you look more like my son, which brings me more glory. I've used this analogy before when I've taught on the Sovereign of God, this idea of a dog trainer, the, the, the dog and the trainer. Right? And I've talked, and I've used, and I'm not going to teach a lot on this today, on, the, on, on what the theology of sovereignty is. I've done that in the past, and I've really kind of fleshed this analogy out, so just bear with me as I quickly touch on it. But what I've talked about in the past, and what I think is true, is, is when, when, a dog, when a trainer is training a dog, he doesn't sit down with the dog and explain the whole package. He doesn't say to the dog, here's why I'm teaching you to do this. Here's when we're going to get to use it. Here's what the whole picture of this whole situation is. He uses, he or she just uses words the dog can understand. Sit, stay, yield, attack, bite, whatever they are. Right? He's going to use words that the dog can understand. Now, here's, the, here's, here's our problem. We're the dog. But here's the bigger problem. We are more like the dog in the analogy than God is like the trainer. And that's the part we don't like. That has been the part from the beginning. You think about Adam and Eve. How did they fall? Well, God, what, how did Satan come to Eve and Adam who was standing next to her? Well, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you're going to know everything. Oh, I'm going to become the trainer and not the dog. But guys, the reality is, there is we have more in common intellectually intelligence-wise, we have more in common with the dog than God has in common with the trainer. God is more above humanity than we are above a dog. And we don't like that. So we try to make God, we try to bring him down to some level that we can understand him. And the problem is, in the midst of that, he becomes a God that is not worthy of trust. If he is just like us, what do we need him for? If he is not in control of everything, then, then what's the point? Why are we here this morning? Ultimately, we, have to, we, we want to come to grips with this truth. The, the, the reality that we must face, and, and, and why I love this particular picture, is the reality that we must face is, do we trust him? Our, the reason we don't the two reasons we don't believe in a God who is completely sovereign over everything is one, our, pr our personal pride, and we want to be the trainer, and two, because we don't trust him. And my hope today is that, is that not that we talk about a theology that you're supposed to live by, but that we talk about a God who can be trusted. And we're going to see that today in the passage we're going to look at. I love how even at the end of, of Romans, of the, the gospel that Paul outlines in Romans, he, spends, he starts in Romans 1, he gets all the way to Romans 11, he, out, he spends chapter after chapter in our Bibles outlining the gospel, and he gets to the end and he goes, Oh, the depths of both the wisdom and the riches of knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He's like, guys, I just wrote this about God's sovereignty and our responsibility, and I don't get it. Because I can't, because I'm the dog. All I know is sit. Okay, I can do that. Right? That's what we got to rest in. What do we, what, what do we, and at the same time, you go, okay, so why, why even talk about it? Because, guys, one, we want to, even though these, these concepts, the concept of, of God's complete sovereignty 
versus our complete responsibility and how they mesh is, is beyond our ultimate comprehension. It's not completely beyond us, meaning we can get tastes of it. And the bigger our God gets, the better. Right? Because that's who he is, first and foremost, but also because the, mo- the bigger picture of the God we serve, the bigger he is in my mind, the more I know I can trust him. If he's a little puny God who can only do some things, then I'm only going to trust him for some things. So like I said, today is not about a theology that we're going to live by. It's today is about an outlook on your life that will hopefully drive the decisions that you make as a follower of Christ. Guys, no matter where we stand with, on this issue of God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility, and those, and those big words like predestination and foreknowledge and election, no matter where we stand, we're putting God in a box because we have to. Theology is the study of God, and ultimately, every one of those is just putting God, every one of those theologies is just putting God in some kind of box. But I want to use a different analogy for the box analogy, because, uh, for the dog analogy. Imagine... Imagine we are at an uh, animal rescue shelter, and we go to, because we go, we're like, you know what, I'm going to save a puppy, right? I lo- and I, so, so, so we go to the shelter, they put the puppy in the box, we take the box, and we're, and we're carrying the box away, and, and we're so excited, because, man, we love this puppy, and we've saved this puppy, and we can't wait to get to know this puppy, and from the puppy's perspective, he is terrified. Why? Because he doesn't know who you are. All you did was stick him in a box. Now, give that puppy some time. Give that puppy some time with you. Hearing your voice. Getting to see you're the one who feeds him. You're the one who takes care of him. That same puppy in that same box will be wagging its tail as you're carrying it. Why? Because it's learned to trust you. That's why spending time in his word, that's why, that's why I'm only going to barely touch on this concept today that the, that the readings in the daily readings this week in, in, in this section of the toolkit will help flesh out more and more of this, but why it's so important to dive in and meet with him here in his word is because the more time you spend with him, the more comfortable you feel in the box as he's carrying us along. So today we're looking at a God who is sovereign. And the question today is, how do we live for something bigger, something better? Ultimately, we're going to look at a God who is sovereign, and we already are, but, but it's through the lens of, but how do we live for that bigger God and that better reality? So turn to Psalm 115. Psalms are in the middle of your Bible, and hopefully if you open up, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will put a Bible in it, I promise. Um, If you need a Bible, keep that one. We'd love for you to have it. We are a people of the Word, but we're going to look at how do we live for something bigger and something better, and our first point is by accepting that he's in charge. It has to begin and end with God ultimately. So if you look at Psalm 115, starting in verse 1, he says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And we could just stop right there, right? I mean, the psalmist right away is like, it's not about us, it's about him. And then he says, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. And over and over and over again in Scripture, God relays that to us. 
I'm not going to have you turn there, but in places like Isaiah 14, God says this, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying this, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. Surely, just as I have planned, so it shall stand. If you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, write down these verses. Don't turn there. Because of the rain, we're a little behind this morning. But in Isaiah 29, 16, write that verse down, God says this, you turn things around. You think I'm just like you. The problem is, you think I'm the one on the stilts, and you're the one telling me what to do. And Paul references that actually in Romans 9, when he talks about being the jar and the, and the potter, and, and is, is the one molded going to say to the one who made it, why did you do this to me? In, verses, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts over your thoughts. He's saying, guys, as, as, as far out as, as the universe, as big as the universe gets, and that's why I love that there, there's the Hubble telescopes finding out that the universe is so much bigger than we think it is, because that just, that just means God is bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's saying, as big as that is, that's how much bigger I am than you. That's how much bigger my thinking process is than your puniness. And that sounds, guys, I'm telling you, in my flesh, as prideful and as arrogant as I still am, after walking with the Lord for 25 years, that sounds insulting to me. Because we don't have the picture. We don't get really how big God is. Otherwise, and, and that's what eternity is going to show us. We're not going to be insulted. In Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8, he kind of goes through this whole process of describing who he is, and he ends it with this. This is God speaking. Isaiah 44, verse 8. He says, is there any other God besides me? Is there any other rock? I know of none. But here's our problem. We pile up pebbles all the time. Right? He's saying, I am the rock. I am the only one. There is no other God. I am not running for God. I'm not trying to get your approval as God. I just am. And we spend all of our time collecting stones and piling up pebbles. And that brings us to our second point, which is the first, so the first thing about living for something bigger and something better, better is that we have, to rec- we have to admit he's in charge. The second thing is, I have to admit what my idols are. I have to, I have to admit I have idols in my life. So look at verses 4 through 8. He says, Their idols are silver and gold and the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, they cannot smell. Feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. So he's saying, guys, there's all these little idols. He's talking, and maybe you're sitting here going, I don't have idols because I don't have any kachina dolls in my house. I don't have a Buddha in my house. I don't have a yin yin yang symbol in my house. Those are all idols to other gods, and you need to get rid of them. But you say, I don't even have any of those. Okay. Look at what he says. But those who make them idols will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Guys, we might think that we do not have idols, but here's the question. What are you worried about? 
What are you fretting over? What is your, where's your hope found? What makes you angry? Because you want to know what an idol in your life is? Something gets taken away from you and it makes you mad? That's an idol. Just let that simmer for a minute because it messes me up. Guys, you might say, you say okay, well, I don't, I'm not materialistic. I'm not talking about materialism. I want my life to be peaceful and comfortable. And when this person comes to my door unannounced and wants my time, I don't like it. That's because my time and my peace and my comfort has become a what? An idol. So here's not a limitless list, but here's a quick list of idols. Is your home an idol? Are your toys an idol? Little people in the room. You fight, how much fighting happens in your house over stuff? That stuff is an idol. Big people in the room. How much of your pursuit of money is because you're trying to collect more stuff? That stuff is an idol. Peace and comfort. That's, my, that's a big one for me. Financial security. Beauty. Do you spend more time working out physically than you do spiritually? Health. The church. That's a big one for me. The church is an idol. My spouse. And I've confessed this over and over here. Two of my biggest ones are these four. These four precious souls that I don't deserve to even live in the same house with. How do I know? They're an idol in my life because when I pray to God, God, do whatever it takes to make me into the man you need me to be, to become conformed into the image of Christ, I immediately think to myself, except please don't touch Carrie, Kylie, Abby, and Emma. That makes them an idol. How about likes on Facebook or Instagram? Are those idols? Can you not wait to get back on your phone to see how many people liked your last post? Guys, we're a culture that lives for likes. We are. It's the, it's the reality. And it's pathetic. And I'm not a beyond it. The, our biggest idol, though, and we talk about this all the time, is our biggest idol is our idol of self. Right? It was in the garden. They wanted to be like God. Our, my, the biggest idol I have in my life looks me in the face every morning. It's all about me. I want, I want to be the trainer and not the dog. Guys, write this down. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What our minds meditate on, our hearts long for. And what grabs our hearts consumes our souls. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What our minds meditate on, our hearts long for, and what grabs our hearts consumes our souls. That's the truth. What do you spend most of your time, energy, effort thinking about? That's what you're going to spend most of your time, energy, and effort living out. And ultimately, it is to the eternal detriment of our souls, even as followers of Christ, who will be in heaven. So we won't go to hell but we're losing out on eternal reward that is going to be so much greater than the stuff we consume and collect. 
Guys, you're going to get more likes in the first second of heaven than you will get in the rest of your life, no matter, no matter how many Instagram followers you or your company collect. That's the truth. Everybody you see is going to love you. They're not going to look like you. They're not going to even say, speak your language, and you're going to know what they're saying, and they're going to love you for it. That's what heaven's like. That's why this is a glimpse of that. What about God? Have we made God an idol by turning him into a God that we want him to be instead of the God that he is? Have we put God in this little genie bottle that I'm just going to rub my lamp when I need something from you, God? Come on, God, you're not coming through for me here. I don't know if I can trust you. I've prayed for my marriage. I've prayed for my kid. I've prayed for whatever, and it's not happening, but it's because you've put God in this little genie sort of, he's not really in control of my life. I'm still free to do what I want to do and live how I want to live, but when I need him, he better show up. That's a, little, that's a little doll, God. Just go buy a Buddha. Guys, Erwin Lutzer, who was the pastor at Moody Bible in Chicago for 30 plus years, he said this, our hearts cannot have two ultimate loyalties. Guys, our God is not a God that will take second place. Jesus makes that so clear over and over and over again. He's like, it's me, it's me, it's me. Guess what, guys? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's only ever been about me. That's Jesus. He will not, and I feel like sometimes in my life, God's not even in the top five. And he doesn't take second. So today's question, how do you live for something bigger, something better? One, by accepting he's in charge. Two, by admitting, I'm an idol worshiper. I am, big and small, different times in my life, I'm an idol worshiper. Third point, and it goes really fast, is by trusting in his blessing. By trusting in his blessing. Look at the next four or five verses. Verse 9 of Psalm 115. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is the help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. There's three people groups there described. Nobody really knows for sure what the psalmist means. Israel, Aaron, and those who fear the Lord. In our vernacular, I would say something like this. Trust in the Lord, nation, Trust in the Lord, people, shepherds, the people that are leading God's people, and trust in the Lord, people of God. And I love how the, the song that Jeremy Camp is singing to you this morning just happens to be this point. Trust, here's, here's what's clear about the passage. If we trust, 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 he will. The Lord has been mindful of us. That just means I'm in verse 12. It means he remembers us, so we ought to remember that, that he's, oh, he's, he has never forgotten us. He will never leave us or forsake us. That word there when he says mindful of us, it actually means he remembers us. And then look what he says. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small and the great. Guys, if we trust, 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 he will bless, bless, bless. That's the truth. That's what the psalmist is telling us. And here's the best part. Because we know him to be such a massive God with limitless resources, his blessings are huge. He doesn't ever reach into his bag of blessings and go, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I, I, I don't have one for David today. Man, I gave that one away to Brian. No. Guys, we don't serve a zero. This is part of our problem in the church. We think we serve a zero-sum God. We think there's only so much of him to go around, and so if somebody else gets him, it's, why we, it's part of why we pray for other churches in the area that are preaching the gospel. Guys, we're not competing with anybody here. 
This is not about growing cornerstone. To say that is to say that we have a God who only has so much resource, and man, if he blesses that church, he's not going to bless this church, and that is an affront to the Lord. So how do we live for something bigger, something better? Accept his charge. Accept he's in charge. Admit that we have idols. Trust in his blessing. And the last point the psalmist makes is live for eternity. Live for eternity. Look at what he says in verses 14 through 18. It's like the psalmist is turning the page. He's going, okay, remember who God is. Remember what our problem is, idol worship. He's like, remember what the solution is. Trust him. Just trust him. Let go of your life, Doug. Let go of your life, Cornerstone. Let go of your comfort. Just trust him and watch him bless both now and forever. Now watch what he says for eternity. He says, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. Guys, that's a present tense promise. He's absolutely saying there is, there is blessing for obedience here and now. Absolutely. God will bless you when you are faithful to him both here and in the forever. It's just part of the deal. And he will not bless you if you're not. Why? Because he knows me and he knows that if, if Doug is being disobedient to me and I give him blessing anyway, he will never stop being disobedient. Because I know it's, he's like, he's a dog. If the dog poops on the floor and I keep giving him a treat for it, what's the dog going to keep doing? So every time I poop on the floor, God's not going to give me a treat for that. Why? Because he knows. I'll just keep pooping on the floor. Am I allowed to say poop? Okay. I said it a lot, so I hope so. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And he's like, he can't, he can't resist pointing it back to, oh, by the way, may you be blessed by the Lord. Not like you're blessed by Mark, who maybe helped out, who stepped in at the last minute and played today because our keyboard player got, got sick. So Kyle steps over one instrument to the left and, Kyle, and Mark comes over. And, 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 now, and those are massive blessings. But oh, by the way, he's like, this blessing is by the guy who made everything. His name is God, maker of heaven and earth. That's where your blessings come from. He says, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down to, into silence. He's like, guys, people that are idols, people that have idols and become like their idols, who are dead in spirit, don't, don't praise the Lord. Verse 18, but as for us, but as for us, but as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Guys, you can't help but read that, but as for us, and not think back to, the, to Joshua 24, 15. But as for me, he says, choose this day who you will serve. It fits right into the We get to the end of Joshua. We don't believe we have choice. What do you do with Joshua 24, 15? Yes, God is in complete control. And yet Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve whether it's God or your idols. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for us, we will serve the Lord. Guys, it is not just about who. I mean, it's not just about what we serve, it's about who we serve. And it's not just about who we serve, it's about when. Jesse said it once in our small group several years ago, and it sticks with me all the time. We have a perspective problem. 
We don't believe that God is as big as he is, and we don't believe eternity is as long as it is. So that makes today seem huge, and it makes my decisions seem so much more important. But guys, it is not about what we're living for, but who. And it's not about who we're living for as much as when. When are we living for God for eternal? As, again, I loved what Janine didn't have my notes. She gets up here and she says, guys, this, uh, we, we want to invest in things that have eternal significance. And I'm like, preach it, sister. I should have just said same, just what she said. See ya. And guys, this is such a great way for us to engage with people. Because Solomon, who was in a very dark place when he writes this, King Solomon says, he, God, has set eternity in their hearts. He's talking about everybody. Everybody has some sense that they live forever, even the ones that deny God or will say they don't. They're not saying that on their deathbed. Everyone lives forever. The only question is address. Everyone has a forever life. And guys, you can spend this life now pursuing your best life now, or you can spend this life now pursuing what is best, him, so that in the part of your life that's going to last forever and ever in eternity, it really is best. So where do you place your hope? Guys, we have this idea in, in Christianity that we go, okay, I, I, I was an unbeliever, I'm, I, now I'm saved, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that, and now I'm going to keep trying to live for him, and, and, and then I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm just going to hang out with him. Guys, that, when, when you die as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not, the, that's not even just the end, and now I'm in heaven, and I'm just singing, um, you know, how great thou art for the rest of eternity. That is just the beginning of your forever life. Guys, he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And I was reading in my quiet time just this morning, at the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, because it was by, just I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and he says, guys, I am, God says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be so amazing, you're going to forget about the old one. I'm going to say that again, because you're not in awe enough. He says, I am going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it is going to be so amazing, you're going to forget about the old one. That's what we're living for. And what we do here now not only matters for our destination, but it matters for our job description. It matters for our job description. The only antidote for our idol of self, guys, is to preach God, God big to ourselves every day. And then to preach him big to a world that needs to hear it. Preach God big, yourself small, and you're going to be okay. Guys, as we take a few minutes and we wrap it up, and um, we're going to spend some time. Brian is going to come up in a few minutes and lead us in a time of prayer that you'll have time to reflect on, and we're going to just reflect now on what you just heard. I, I, I want to just remind you of this. God's sovereignty is a call to action. Right? It's not a call to just, to just let go and let God. That's not in the Bible. Here's what's in the Bible. Be strong and show yourselves courageous for the sake of your people and the cities of your God. And God will do what God will do. But the sovereignty of God is also about trusting him. Do you just trust him? Only if you know him. Otherwise, you're just the scared puppy in the box.
but guys, most importantly, we got to rest in this reality. And, 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 and it's important enough for me to take a minute and, and share this. This is what God hit me with early this week on the mountain as I was praying through this message. There are times when we are to be strong and show ourselves courageous. We are always to trust God. And then there are times where he's just going to say, stop. If you trust me enough, you're going to watch me work. Guys, there are times where he's going to say, because you're sitting there, some of you are sitting here right now in a world that is very hard, and you're going, Doug, I, I believe all of this, I get all this, and I've been praying this, and my marriage is still a train wreck, and my kids are still rebelling, and my health is still failing, and I don't know what to do. And in those moments, he's saying, guys, watch me work. And remember the work I've already done. He delivered the slaves from Egypt, and Pharaoh starts chasing them, and they get to the edge of the Red Sea, and what happens? They're coming, and the enemy is getting ready to attack, and the marriages are out of control, and the kids are rebelling, and their health is failing, and they're agonizing. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And God says, you guys don't do anything. Watch me work. And he parts the sea, and they cross through. That's just a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. Guys, when you get to that moment and your marriage is failing and your kids are still rebelling and your, and your health is, is, going, is deteriorating, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ and go, watch me work. I did it all. I parted the waters. I made the way. It's me. I'm that big. And even if our circumstances don't get better, Lord, but even if, may we rejoice. That's what Paul tells us. Even if we're standing on the edge of the Red Sea and the enemy does attack us, we know that because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, that is not the end. That we look to a sovereign God who has all things under control, who does all things well, who has promised that those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he has called to himself to love on them. Those he has called to himself, he has made right, justified, and he is glorifying them. And in that moment, when we don't know what else to do and we're just looking at the cross, may we remember that we are glorious in your sight, not because of anything we have done, but because of who you are and what you did in Jesus' name. Amen.